I'd like to introduce our uh, guest speaker this morning. Um, when you first see him, you may think that uh, my twin is here, but we, we are not twins. We are we're separated by just four years, but uh, a lot of people do get us mixed up, which is, which is awesome. Uh, but coming to speak to us today is Nathan McBroom. Obviously, he's the son of Curtis and Becky McBroom. He is an IMB missionary that's been called to serve and share the gospel to the nations, to Eastern Asia, specifically to Hong Kong. Nathan is married to Abigail. He has four children, Emma, Anne, Judah, and Elijah. Nathan and I are brothers by blood and birth, brothers in spirit and rebirth, and brothers in service to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So Nathan, please come. Morning, church. If you have your Bible, please open it to the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. We'll be looking at chapter 7. As you're turning there, I want to personally and publicly praise God for your church. Not only before the 104 years of faithfulness, 104 years of proclaiming the gospel, but I wanted to thank this body for loving my family, for praying for us, financially supporting us, and for loving my family, my mother and father, my brother and sister-in-law, my nieces and niece and nephews, many aunts and uncles and many, many friends for many, many years call this church home. I praise God for this church. I praise God that in the southwest of Louisville, there is a church that proclaims the good news about Jesus, that he came into the world to die for sinners. He was buried, and on the third day, he rose again. And if anyone would repent of their sins, they can have everlasting life. They can know God as their father and be with him forever. That is rare in these days. And I praise God for this church. I praise God for your pastor, who's been a true friend to me, true pastor. Praise God for this church. If you were to go back 104 years ago and talk to those people who were forming that committee to plant this church, and you were to ask them, why would you leave Beachmont? Why would you leave a place and a people that you love in order to go into a community and start a new church? Why would you do that? Why would you leave the things that, that you know and you love in order to go someplace where there's not many Christians and to start a new work? I think the answer for that question is found in the hymn that they sang. All hail the power of Jesus' name. There is one name among men by which we must be saved, and that name is Jesus. He is worthy. The lamb who was slain is worthy. It wasn't sense of, any sense of guilt. They had passion. They had desire. Their greatest desire was that his name would be hallowed. They wanted people to know and experience fellowship with God. And that was what drove them. Their, 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 the end vision 
for the glory of God in the face of Christ was what brought them here. And I tell you this, if Jesus tarries for another hundred years, it will be the vision that sustains this church. The beauty and majesty of God in the face of Christ. It compels us. It changes us. And it gives us hope in the darkest of days. And that is exactly what we see in Revelation chapter 7. If you would, please read with me this wonderful, wonderful vision of what every child of God is moving towards. Immediate, sweet, everlasting joy in the face of Jesus. Let's read. Starting in verse 9 to end of the chapter. After this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation and all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the, and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these clothed in white robes and from where did they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him night and day in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence they shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb is in the midst of the throne, will be their shepherd. Can't you just hear Psalm 23? He will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of, ever, of living water, and God will wipe every tear from their eyes. It is my prayer that today, as we look into the, this passage, God would form in your minds and your hearts a vision for what he's bringing all of creation to, the end point, the desired goal, and that is worship of his son. To that end, we need his help. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to get started. Heavenly Father, rain fire down on this altar. Do what only you can do. By your word, create new life. I pray, Lord God, that you would bring salvation for those who are dead in their trespasses and sins, Lord, you would transfer from them from the dark kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, the kingdom of your beloved Son. For those, Lord, that do not understand their light in light of the end, what you are bringing all creation to, I pray, Lord, you would give them a vision of your glory. Lord, I pray that from this you would call out missionaries from this beautiful church, this beautiful congregation, would you call out men and women who want nothing more than for Jesus Christ to be worshipped among all the peoples, all the nations, all the, all the ethnos. Lord, would you do it for your glory in Jesus' name.
Amen. In this passage, we see a picture of God's design and vision for the end of all things. God's great passion and desire is for a multitude of people from every nation, every tribe, every people and language to worship his son around his throne with ever-increasing and everlasting joy. This is the culmination of all human history. This is the great end for which God has designed the world that we, his chosen people, would behold his glory in the face of his beloved son. That a chorus of brothers and sisters from every nation, every tribe, every ethnicity, every language would praise him with joy for who he is and what he has done. This is the goal, people. This is the goal of the universe. This is the goal of your life. This gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed as a testimony to all peoples, and then the end will come. Moreover, this passage is an invitation to see your life in light of the glory that is to come. In the midst of the pain and hardship of your life, God is giving us a vision for the sweet, uninterrupted, unending joy that we will have in the presence of God. If 2020 has taught us anything, is that this world, in this world, you will suffer. But my friends, this slight and momentary affliction is preparing for you an eternal weight of glory which is beyond compare. I am convinced that God has given us, his church, this passage for three reasons, at least. In this passage, we see promises of joy in his presence. This passage produces praise in his people. And this passage provides purpose in our pain. Adrian Rogers would have been really proud of all those peas. I just want you all to know that that was pretty good, right? <laughs> That was a joke. First, we have to see the promise of his presence. Now, anytime you start talking about revelation, usually you get two reactions. You get people are so uninterested and so like, that's weird. I'm not even going to pay attention because there's things I don't understand. So I'm just going to skip it. Martin Luther was like that. Luther didn't like revelation. Luther was wrong about a lot of things. Because Revelation reveals Jesus to us. So that's one reaction. Like, eh, I don't want to deal with that. Then you've got the other guys who've got all the prophecy charts, and they think they've all got it figured out, and they've got, they'll go super, super deep into every detail, and you're just kind of weird, right? Let's just be honest. You guys know some of those people, right? And some, of those, some of you are those people, right? That's okay. I love you. But really, the problem we have a lot of time with understanding the book of Revelation, as my wife would say, is we don't know the Bible. We just pick and choose, and we're not Bible literate. We, don't, we have not read from Genesis to Revelation. We just see this, we see it as, without having the context, but if we read from Genesis to Revelation, we would see that this book really does bring to a culmination everything that God has said before. So we start seeing, oh, wow, this is, this is, him, this is God tying it all together. He's, he's making references to things that happened before. Revelation is a unique book, but it's, it's not like we haven't seen this before. God's been moving us towards this. 
And that, we see this exactly in this passage, and that is the exaltation of his son. That's the reason for all things. It's the reason for your life. Is the exaltation of Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what the book of Revelation is all about. Yes, there's things about Revelation that are hard. And I don't even begin to know all the symbolism. But the main thing is the main thing. And it's showing us a beautiful picture of Jesus. Revelation could be difficult because it's part epistle, like a letter. It's part prophecy, like Isaiah or Jeremiah. It's part apocalypse, like parts of Daniel or Zechariah. But truly and honestly, what it is, is a revelation of Jesus Christ. We look at it and we see a picture of his beauty. And that's why when he promises immediate presence with God, it should be something you're willing to give it all to obtain it is the pearl of great price for which a man would sell everything and in his joy go and buy that field. It shows us something beautiful. It shows us God himself in the face of Christ. We see in this passage immediately that there is, there is joy in his presence. These people, this multitude that no one could number from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation, starting in verse 9. These people are standing before the throne and before the lamb, clothed in white robes, we'll talk about in a moment, they have palm branches in their hands. They're clothed in white robes of, of victory and purity. And they have these palm branches that were just celebration. And they're crying out in a loud voice. Listen to the content of their praise. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. They're crying out. Salvation belongs to our God. It is his to give and he's given it to me. He's given it to all of us graciously. And we'll see in just a second, how did they get there? They got there by the blood of the lamb. What is the, what is this, what, how does, how does this work? He died on a cross to bring them there. Revelation 5 teaches us very, very clearly. By your blood, you have purchased men for God from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. He, he promised it in 5, and we see it in 7. They are, in, they are brought into the very presence of God. Now, this is hard for most of you all to understand because you have no idea what it means for God to be holy. For, for sinful man to be brought into the presence of God just seems no big deal. It just seems like, yeah, of course, God's my buddy. Jesus is my homeboy. Read the book of Revelation. You know what you're going to see? You're going to see Jesus Christ with eyes burning like fire, his face blazing like the sun, a sharp sword coming out of his mouth, riding on a white horse dipped in blood. He is truly majestic. He is glorious. He is not your homeboy. He is the Lord of glory who demands your allegiance. He is holy, holy, holy. He is the root of the tribe of David. He is the lion of the tribe of David. He is the root of Jesse. He was, he is, and he is to come. He is the alpha. He is the omega. He died and he rose again. And he will judge the living and the dead. He is holy. So when we see that these people from all these tribes, tongues, people, and nation have been brought into the very presence of God, we should be in awe. 
This chapter is really set up by the end of chapter 6 where we see the kings of the earth, the, the, the powerful and the wealthy alongside of the poor and, and, and the downtrodden hiding in caves. They're hiding. Do you know why they're hiding? Do you know what they're afraid of? They're afraid of the wrath of him who sits on the throne and the lamb. They are terrified. They're so terrified, they're crying out to the rocks to crush their brains. They do not want to stand before the lamb. They are so terrified, they, they think that dying would get them away from his wrath. But you cannot escape it. Because he is holy and he is sovereign. And they ask this question, these kings of the earth ask this question, who can stand before the wrath? Who can stand? Chapter 6, or chapter 7 answers, gives us a picture of 144,000 being sealed. And then we get, he, John hears their number of 144,000, 144,000, and then he sees this countless multitude before the throne in joy, not in fear. He promises pleasure. He promises joy. But only to those who can stand. To those who have had their robes cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. Church, I got one question for you. Will you stand before him righteous? How you answer that question determines everything. If you answer it like this, I heard a preacher say this recently, it was so good. If you answer that question, this question like this, nobody's perfect. Will I stand before him righteous? Nobody's perfect. If you answer the question that way, you do not understand Christianity. It is a fundamental, fundamental misunderstanding of the gospel. How will I stand before him that day? How will I, Nathan McBroom, born in sin, hating God, how will I stand before him in his holiness, his eyes that see all Nothing can be hidden from him. How can I stand righteous before him? One answer, the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. An alien righteousness has, been, has taken over me. I have been clothed. I have been made righteous. And brothers and sisters, that changes everything. It changes how I view myself. It changes how I view God. It changes how I view the world. It changes my passions. It changes how I love one another. How we love one another in this body and how we love all the ethnos, all the peoples of the world. We're willing to lay down our life because we have been made new. There's one answer to that question. How will you stand righteous in that day? Jesus Christ has given his life. He has died. He has risen again. And he has made me new. And they are not there in fear. All fear is gone. Do you see that? 
Look, how, look, look, look at how they, John describes them. Therefore, they are before the, Lamb of the throne of God, and they serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on them will shelter with his presence. No longer shall they hunger, neither shall they thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the, of the throne will be their shepherd, and they will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe every tear from their eyes. Brothers and sisters, I have served the Lord Jesus in our denomination as a missionary in, in Asia for 11 years. And there have been hard times. There have been times when I have wept and I've been afraid. In the last two years, I have seen persecution that I could never have dreamed. Friends have been arrested. Their property has been confiscated. They were beaten and imprisoned. I myself was interrogated. We were told we were being watched. And ultimately, we were told we had to leave and we could never return. And we lost everything. Everything I own, every toy my kid owns. And I tell you this, I sacrificed nothing. The joy that is before us cancels and gives purpose to the pain that is in our past. A day is coming when the Lord Jesus himself will wipe away every tear from your eye. And it is doing something. Friends, this affliction, this slight and momentary affliction is producing a particular glory that we will receive on that day in his presence. Do you know this joy? Do you know the joy of walking with Jesus? Is Jesus the all-consuming passion of your life? If he is not, you will only make small and calculated risks for him. Christianity will be, simply be something you add to your life. But when he is all, you can say, let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also, the body they may kill. But God's word abides still. Do you know the joy that's coming 2,000 years ago when he died on the cross and rose in the grave, he brought life and immortality to bear. The kingdom was inaugurated. Uh, don't wait for the altar call. Here it is right now. Repent of your sins and you will be born again. The kingdom has come. Repent. Turn away. Turn away from your sin. My brothers and sisters, if you will believe in Jesus today, you will be born again. 
the resurrected life that Jesus purchased for us on Calvary can be yours today. You do not have to wait. The good news is here. Jesus is alive. He reigns. Can I get a man? That's why. That's why joy is in the presence of Jesus. And nowhere else. This passage is promises of joy in his presence. It also produces praise in his people. And the reason that you can have joy in the midst of this is Jesus is with us. And when he is with you, just like the Son of Man was with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace, just like God was with Daniel in the lion's den, Jesus will be with you and it produces in you praise. Listen to their praise. Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. It's really important that we catch here. They're not ascribing to God something that he, already, he doesn't already have. They have seen and beheld in his face, the face of his son Jesus, his character perfectly. And they're declaring this is true of you. And as John Piper rightly says, Worship is the fuel and goal of missions. It is what brought them there. I love that. The founders of this church saying, oh, hell, the power of Jesus' name. Praising God is what we do as his people. 1 Peter 2, 9-11, you are a chosen race, a holy priesthood, a, a chosen race, a holy priesthood, a people called for his own possession, that you may proclaim the glories of him, the majesties of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. What we do as proclaimers is because of our identity as his possession. We are his. And even in the midst of trial, we are able to praise him. It produces praise in his people and it provides purpose in our pain. What I love about this passage is if you read it, and especially read the rest of the book of Revelation, God's people are not strangers to pain. Your best life is not now. On this earth, you will suffer. Everyone who desires to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. I didn't make that up. Paul did. What it does, however, is gives purpose to our pain. Whether it's moving across town to help plant a new church, share the gospel with a coworker, care for a dying parent, everything that you do in obedience to the Lord Jesus will bring a measure of pain. Because this world, the flesh and the devil are opposed to the advance of the kingdom of God. And there will be pain. And this passage tells us that. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. That means there must have been tears. There must have been thirst. 
And these people are all coming out of the great tribulation. I consider it a great honor to have known a martyr, a woman who gave her life for Jesus. She was kidnapped, killed. If she were here today, the standing among us, Do you think that she would regret it? Not a moment. But was there pain? Yes. We should never deny that there is pain and the pain is real. Whether that's loss of a child, loss of a job, cancer diagnosis, the pain is real. But what what is the promise that gives us any hope as we experience that pain? It is this. It's not meaningless. You are not alone. And that one day Jesus Christ is coming again to make all things new. There will be no pain on that day. There will be nothing to make you fear on that day. He will crush sin. He will destroy the devil. And he will reign forevermore. In light of that reality, brothers and sisters, in light of that reality, what do you have to lose? So what if your coworker makes fun of you for speaking up for Jesus? I will inherit the earth. So what if they kill me in the streets of Baghdad? I will raise from the dead when Jesus comes again and I will reign with him forever. So what if I give up the last 10 years of my retirement in order to plant a new church across town? I will live forever with Jesus. doesn't take away our pain. It doesn't make those things insignificant. It gives it purpose. There's much more I could say, but I'm swinging for the fences today. I am hoping and praying that by seeing in this text and in the book of Revelation that some of you will get a glimpse of the glory of God in the face of Christ and you would say, yes, that's what I want. I want him more than anything. Take every dime in my bank. I want Jesus. And others of you would say, I'm a Christian, but I've got a great job. I don't know. But I feel like God's calling me to go to a place and a people that have never heard him before. I'm not saying that God's calling all of you, but I am saying this, no matter what you leave behind, if he's calling, again, that's something for you all to speak about with your pastors about. It's very important for the local church to be involved in that. But whatever you leave behind, you will get a hundred times more when he comes. So in closing, there's much more I can say 
But as my seven-year-old son said this morning in his application to you, you should bow now, bow down now to Jesus because he's God. God loves us worshiping him. It's a quote. Thanks, Judah. Secondly, repent. Repent of living your life as if you and your kingdom were ultimate. You are not. He is. The centrality of the worship of God is true in this text. It is true in the entire Bible. And you are keeping yourself from the fullness of joy by making your life an idol. Repent. Repent of all forms of racism. This, this, if, if there's ever been a time for our nation to just admit that we're divided politically, ethnically, racially, all those things, we should just admit that. And the one thing that can bring us together, the one thing that can bring the church together is that we have one Lord, one baptism, and one purpose. That is what unifies. I don't care who you vote for next month. I care for this. Who do you bow down to? Who is your Lord? What does he want you to do? As your pastor said this morning, he has told us. And to disregard what he said is the height of arrogance and pride. Third, dedicate your life to the advance of the gospel. Pray for its advance. Proclaim the gospel where you are now. No such thing as a 747 missionary. Oh, I'll be a faithful missionary when I go to the overseas. That's a lie. If you're not faithful here, you're not going to be faithful over there. Give to your local church. This is, this is God's plan. This local body is God's plan for the advance of the kingdom of God. And lastly, go. Be willing. Be willing to heed his call because he promises joy in his presence. He provides purpose in our pain. And he will never leave us or forsake us. He who called us is faithful. Church, I am so thankful for this, uh, for this time together with you to celebrate 140, 104 years. I pray that the mission that started this church to see Jesus Christ exalted in, in Fairdale would be the, the passion that sustains this church until the Lord comes. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you, Lord, for how it sustains us. Thank you, Lord, for the promise of your presence. Thank you that Jesus Christ purchased men for God by his blood and that he has commissioned us to proclaim this good news. Thank you, Lord. There are people in Faradale that Jesus Christ has died for and that when they hear the gospel, maybe not the first time, maybe not the second time, but they will be saved. Thank you, Lord, for the assurance that we have in evangelism and missions. Thank you, Lord, that the gates of hell cannot prevail over your kingdom. We love you, Lord. We glorify you. Bless this church. In Jesus' name, amen.